Good morning, Calvary family. I'm Sharon Honeycutt, for those of you who don't know. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through, through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Thank you. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name for all the things you do for us, have done for us, and continue to do for us. We thank you for our salvation, which is eternal, and that we have a place in you and with you. We thank you that you say in uh, Ephesians, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. And we pray today, God, that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, we are glad that you have joined with us. We've got a few people in here, uh, all the people that are part of, of putting this together. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'm preaching to some people, and uh, they're here to encourage me, I believe, uh, a lot. Uh, and I, I appreciate that as well. We're, we're talking today about getting out of the boat, and this is in Matthew 14. Last week, we were in the boat in Matthew 8, where Jesus calmed the storm. And there's just a principle here that I, I want you to understand that anytime God teaches you something, a test on that subject is coming up. Do you remember as a kid uh, when you had to study for a test? I, I know when you're really young, maybe your, your parents would help you, a uh, spelling test, something like that, calling it out to you. But somewhere along the lines, you start studying for yourself. And usually, you'll read through something, you'll comprehend it, you'll go over it in your mind, you go, I got this. And then you go take the test, and you don't got this. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's tough, especially like you get old enough to get a driver's license. And I've heard kids say it, some, some uh, I was pretty close to say, oh, I don't need to study, I know all that. And they go down there and fail, go down there and fail. They don't understand that study takes more than just reading, more than just understanding it, more than just even committing it to memory sometimes. So many times we really learn it when we do it, right? And so in, in Matthew 8, we saw the disciples in a boat, and they're terrified, but Jesus had gone with them. We're going to see something a little different today. And uh, as we go there, I want you to keep this in mind. This is an original with me. Uh, I heard uh, another pastor, preacher, songwriter, somebody say it. And, and it's this. I want, to take, I want you to make sure you remember this. That when the waves are over our head, 
they are still under Jesus' feet. When the waves are over our head, they're still under his feet. And again, we're, we're continuing just kind of talking about the fact that we're, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow uh, in this world. Uh, things are going on. Right here where we live, the first cases of this virus were just identified yesterday. There were three cases uh, identified yesterday. So this is the first one in, in our county and in our city uh, identified. But... I appreciate uh, having the scripture already read here. We're, we're looking in verse 22, and the first thing I want you to note is that Jesus is taking some deliberate actions. Now, when you start putting this in context, and excuse me, I'm going to need to sip on something as I talk. When, when you first consider putting this in context, you realize that Jesus is very, very busy in chapter 14 of Matthew. There is a lot going on. First of all, his cousin has just been put to death by Herod. Uh, you can read that in the first verses. I'm not going to take time to do that. But uh, Jesus is very sorrowful about that. We, we know that for a fact. On the heels of that, he's feeding 5,000 people. And just to give you a little context on that, Jesus has been teaching them for a long time. It's, it, it, in other places we learn, it's been about three days of teaching and nobody's had anything to eat. And, uh, and, and so then Jesus performs a miracle and I wish I could preach on the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only story in Jesus' life that is in all four Gospels except for the crucifixion. That's the only other thing in all four Gospels. So he's feeding 5,000 people. And that, at the end of that, and there were more, more things going on and big things happening right after that, we come to this interesting verse beginning in verse 22, and he kind of begins to tie it together. And it says there, Immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So Jesus has been real busy, but Jesus needed to pray. And I want you to realize and see there, he sent the disciples away. Now these are his right-hand men. These are the guys he's leaning on. He's teaching them, but also they help him. They do things. I mean, I get up here and preach. Somebody brought this pulpit up to me. Uh, you know, uh, there have been people getting all this stuff together. I just show up and start talking. I'm telling you, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. And I'm not saying Jesus didn't do a lot of work or he wasn't busy, but these were the men that helped him, and he sends them away. I think that's going to be important later when the storm comes up because they're going to go through another storm on the sea in a boat. But this time, Jesus isn't going to be with them. So where does that take their mind and your mind? Well, it says in 22, he, he immediately, after he fed the 5,000, he feeds them. He says, you guys get in the boat and go. I'll catch up later. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if you leave somebody without any visible means of locomotion except walking, and you're going straight across the sea that he's going to have to walk around, didn't somebody scratch their head and go, how's he going to get there? You know, does he have something we don't know about? But they were obedient. They did it. And then I want you to note that after he got the disciples out of the way, he dismissed the crowd. Now, again, I don't know why that is. Maybe I shouldn't even point it out because I got nothing to say about it. Other than that seems a little backwards to me. I would have said, y'all, y'all go home. Then I turn around the guys and go, okay, here's what's going to happen. And uh, you go ahead and get in the boat and hang on because I'm going to show you something later. But instead, he tells them to get out of the way. He dismisses the crowd. And then these tremendous, tremendous to me words, he says... And after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when nightfall came, evening fell, he was all alone. Jesus has sent everybody away from him. 
he dismisses the crowd and as a man and I believe he needed to talk to God he needed to speak to his father in heaven because you got to remember this everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry when he when he was in that body before the crucifixion and resurrection he did as a spirit-filled man I've been preaching for over 41 years and and in that time there have been times when I've said well of course he knew because he was God of course he could do that because he was God of course this happened because he was God but the Bible teaches us that everything he did in that physical life he did it as a spirit-filled man and he did not use his deity to do it and that's an encouragement to us because in salvation to be saved is to receive the Holy Spirit that is the salvation that we experience it's not just uh, God says okay you're saved and we go on he actually baptizes us the word in the Bible which means to immerse or totally cover he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and he puts us in the body of Christ with him through the power of the Spirit and so the Spirit's still at work doing the will of Jesus and Jesus as a man needed to talk to God and so he goes up on this mountain, and it just tells us night comes, and he's still praying. Have you ever been so busy, you, you didn't know which way you were headed? In fact, you were so busy, you'd gotten behind. I, I remember seeing a, a poster one time with a, one of these doll rams sitting on the top of a mountain peak or a little stone. Only a sheep could have, uh, like him could have gotten up there. And underneath it said, I'm so far behind, I think I'm first. Have you ever been there? You're so busy, you, you just, everything's gotten away from you. Well, Jesus knew how to not let things get away from him. He gets rid of everything else, and he goes to be alone and spend time with his Father. Business, busyness can rob us of intimacy, not only with God, but with people around us. We can all be busy doing what we're supposed to do and never connect to anyone else on a personal level, and we need to do that. But we need renewal constantly. This is why I mentioned earlier on that Jesus was already busy in this chapter. He is doing a lot of things. He's been through a very sorrowful thing with his cousin John, who was the herald that said he was coming. He has now been teaching for days. He feeds 5,000 people with inadequate supply, but he blesses it, breaks it, and God gives that miracle, and, and he feeds everybody, including the disciples. Then he sends them all away, and he says, i got to go connect with God. Now, we get some idea of how long that took because it says he got rid of them, told them to go away. And then after he got on the mountain, nightfall came. And we're going to see in a minute, it is between 3 and 6 in the morning before the disciples see him. So he's been on that mountain a good long time. But we need to always get away and be renewed. And we need that on a constant basis. And then, though, here's what I want you to catch in verse 24, just in case you're following along with your Bible. I hope you are. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. He had been praying on the mountain, and while he was praying alone, the boat had gotten far away from land, far away from, from Jesus, and a storm had come up on the sea. Do you, th do, do you understand now? I was saying he sent them away. Remember, the first time when the storm came up, Jesus was already there. It was obvious he was there, and they didn't have to worry about it. But this time, they're away from him. He's equipped them to handle this, 
but they don't remember that in the midst of the, uh, of the trouble. In fact, sometimes in our busyness, we forget the lesson that we learn. Sometimes you can learn something very well, and then in the, in the middle of an emergency, you forget everything you know. I can illustrate that several ways. Uh, I'll resist, but I do remember one Olympic athlete who won uh, gold, was the first American to ever achieve a perfect score in what they were doing, it was Mary Lou Retton, and they asked her, what did being prepared mean to her? She said, I consider I'm prepared if you woke me up from a dead sleep at midnight and threw me out there on the, on the gymnastic floor that I could do my routine flawlessly from sleep to that in a second. She said, that's being prepared. Well, she proved that by getting, being the first one to get a perfect score, at least for America. But these disciples, they're out they're away from land, which will give you some comfort. When I was a teenager, uh, a, a younger man at least, my, my best friend grew up on, a, on an island. And I'm, I, I grew up on the coast of Charleston, South Carolina. And, and uh, they had a, a catamaran boat. Uh, it's called a Hobie Cat is what it was. And, hey, let's go on the cat. Sure. So we jump on this uh, boat. We go, start going out. And on our way out, one of the guy wires comes loose. Now, that wire was holding the mast up so the sail would fill. And the sail was full, and so it was, it, the one behind it broke, so the sail stayed up. The problem was we were heading straight away from land. And if we turned around, that mast would fall, and we would be stuck out there. Well, it was me, my best friend, and his little brother. And his little brother knew a lot about that boat. So he told his brother, hold this while I see what's wrong. So his brother held the till and kept us going straight out from land. And his younger brother started looking at it. And what had happened, there was a little pin that held that wire through a loop in the wire to a connection, and that pin had come out. So he started looking around, and there was another piece that wasn't as vital on the boat that had that same pin in it. So he pulled that pin out, and, he, and, the, and just waves hitting him like crazy. He, put that, he got that wire on, he put that pin back in, and he said, all right, we're good. And we looked around, and we couldn't see land. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was not a great day for me because I'm not a good swimmer. I can swim, but for a few seconds. And did I mention this is in an ocean? And you know what lives in oceans, right? <laughs> the, the reason people get bit by sharks is they're playing in the shark's living room, all right? <laughs> I'm just telling you. And so I, I'm kind of scared, to tell you the truth. But... I had to trust that guy. He knew what he was doing. He turned that boat around, and we started coming back, and pretty soon we started seeing land. I was so glad. Can you imagine these disciples? It's the middle of the night. They can't see anything. Pitch black, dark, a storm comes up. You certainly can't see anything because the stars and the moon are hidden. And a storm has happened, and where is Jesus? He's the one that sent us out. Has Jesus ever sent you somewhere, and then a storm came up? That's going to happen. I can almost promise you that will happen. But here's what I want you to remember. Jesus will always get to us. There's nothing that can keep Jesus away from us. I believe Jesus was aware of what was going on. I, I, I'll tell you why. Look at verse 25. It says, they were terrified. The disciples, well, back up to yeah, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 in the morning. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, we understand that's an unbelievable miracle. But before we get to the miracle of Jesus walking on the sea, I've got two other things I want to point out. One is, how do you know where they were? 
I don't know if you know anything about somebody being lost at sea. But I, as I said, I grew up on the coast. And somebody can be standing in the water right there. And you not see them because a wave has come up. It doesn't have to be a tall wave, just a very small wave. And hidden them from view, at least for a second or two. If you've ever watched any kind of shows of, of real live rescues at sea, they are scanning that ocean for any glimpse of anything, but it is so difficult, even from the air, to see somebody in that water. It is pitch black dark in the middle of a storm, and Jesus walks straight up to the boat. He knew where they were. He knows where you are. In the middle of all this around us, Jesus knows exactly where we are, and we don't need a GPS tracker for him to find us. He got to it. He got to them. Secondly, it's a storm. Now, just pause for a moment and imagine that any of us could walk on a smooth surface of water, a pond, a lake, everything. It's like glass, and you could just walk on it. That would be pretty amazing. But a storm going on? There had to be some two, three, four-foot swells going. So my question is, was Jesus walking like, level and the waves would break around him but they didn't hurt him and he kept, or did he climb up one and down the other or did he go up on one just kind of skateboard down you know having fun Woo, this is great I, I don't know how did he walk in the middle of a storm to that boat that that adds to the difficulty factor right if he got a 10 for walking on the water what about the difficulty factor of it being a storm while he's doing it but late into the night he shows up in this spectacular way and they're in fear. Look at verse 26. They're, they're very afraid, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, if they weren't scared already, they got terrified and said, it's a ghost. Because why would they say that? Well, they know solid flesh and blood can't walk on water. That's impossible. That doesn't happen. So if you see a human figure walking towards you, it's got to be a ghost, right? That's what they're figuring. And so they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them to comfort them. And he said, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. Now I'm giving a modern paraphrase of that. He says in our Bible, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But I don't think Jesus said, do not be afraid, it is I. Be no, I think he said, it's okay, it's me, don't worry about it, it's just Jesus. And then something amazing happens. And this is where Peter, one out of the twelve, not only passes the test, but he passes it in a spectacular way. In, in, in verse 28, And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Listen, Jesus has altered physics to accomplish the Father's will. You, nobody can walk on water, but Jesus did it. And so that meant he had to change the physics of what's going on. And when Jesus shows up, I want you to notice it doesn't say he calmed the storm. He doesn't calm the storm until a little bit later. In verse 28, when Peter says, let me come to you, the storm's still going on. Which I think adds points to Peter's score as well. That he doesn't say, hey, calm the storm so I can see what's going on. He just says, Lord, if it's really you, I want to come to where you are. He's willing to put his life on the line to get to Jesus. Now, are you that desperate for Jesus? Are you that desperate to know him and to be with him that you would literally put your life on the line that to hear his command and then obey it? Notice what Peter said. If it's you, command me to do it. In other words, I'm not going to do it unless you tell me to, but if you tell me to, I'm coming. 
He's the one out of the 12. Only one guy even dared do it. We always talk about what happens a little bit later because all y'all know, Peter sank. We know that because we as humans like to point out when somebody messes up. Because honestly, we ought to be jealous that he got out of the boat. We ought to be jealous that he had enough faith to say, if you command me, I'll come to you. And Jesus said, come on, it's fine, come on, I command you, come on. And the Bible tells us right here in 29, he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. He got all the way to Jesus. Now, I don't know how far away he was. It could have been close, could have been a little bit further. It was close enough for him to know it was Jesus and hear him. And he got out of the boat and he walks there. And Jesus is always willing to have us join him where he is. He had sent them away into a storm, but now he invites them to come and join him, even out on the storm. Leave the boat, man, it's more fun out here. Like I said, they might, he might have been climbing up one side and sliding down the other side, like, this is, a great, this is great fun, come join me. But only Peter was willing, and he goes out, and Jesus always enables the impossible to be possible. Now, I'm not saying we ought to run out there in an in a inadequate boat in a terrible storm in the middle of a sea and then try to jump out of the boat and see if we can walk on water. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say Peter ever tried to walk on water again. I, I wonder, did he do that? You know, Peter's getting a little bit older and goes, man, I remember that time I got out of the boat and walked to Jesus. I wonder. You know, and he starts splashing in the, in the edge of the water. Can, can I stand on? Oh, no, it's not working. Why? Because that wasn't, that wasn't the point. That wasn't what God wanted him to do. Jesus, Peter didn't show up with a big tent, say, come to the big tent, watch me walk on the water, and a big pool of water up there on stage, and run back and forth across the water. Woo, woo, see what I can do? Why? Because that's drawing attention to Peter. God does miracles in our lives to draw attention to him. Jesus invited him out. He got to Jesus. It's all about what Jesus can do. And so whatever Jesus asks you to do, it becomes possible because he asked you to do it. I'm sure that most of you that can hear me right now have been out to eat. Maybe you've ever been out to eat invited by a friend. And usually if you ask somebody to go eat with you, you've got to be willing to pay for it, right? That, at least that's kind of how I grew up. And if you're not willing to pay for it, say, hey, do you want to join me while we're eating? But you've got to pay for your own. You go ahead and tell them up front because you don't want that awkwardness later on. It's, it's the guy that's slowest to his wallet doesn't have to pay, right? So, so... When Jesus orders something of us, he always pays the bill. That's my point. If Jesus asks you to do something that doesn't seem possible, he will make it possible. He will never leave you stranded. Because Jesus is the only source for doing the impossible. We see this beginning of verse 30. Because that's where Peter messes up. Look what verse 30 says. But, but, when he saw the wind... He was afraid. The word but in the Bible almost always triggers, man, that changed everything. That's, that's kind of what that word means in the Bible. Not every time, but most of the time. It means everything was going great, and then this changed everything. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I want you to notice, first of all, Peter took his eyes off the source of his ability. As long as he's walking to Jesus, and, and listen, that's how you achieve any goal in life, whether it, it be something as small as running a foot race to you know, the finish line as a kid, I'll race you to that tree. You don't look at the guy running, you look at the tree. You're trying to get to that tree. That, does, that never changes. 
You can watch professional sports if they ever come back on. And you can watch a guy shooting a basketball, keeps his eye on the hoop. Watch a guy running a football, goal line. The one that turns around and looks around usually is not going to win the race. And so Peter, while he kept his eyes on Jesus, was walking on the water. But the waves were not noticeable until he noticed them. He never thought about those waves when he saw Jesus. Lord, if it's, that's Jesus, Lord, if it's you, I, can I come to you? Sure, come on. Command me, I'll do it. Come on, Peter. Peter gets out of the boat, and he's trucking to Jesus. And as he's getting there, he's going, what's that noise? And he starts looking around, he sees the wind, the waves around him. And now he's concentrating on that instead of on Jesus. It, it, it's never noticeable until it's noticeable. Circumstances are not important until they are. I, this is a principle. I had a, another man teach me this one time. He was just talking about in leadership and things. And he said, you know, if you have a full trash can in your office, that doesn't mean anything until somebody walks in and says, why is your trash can full? And then it becomes important. Now, you, you just think about that. You'll get what I'm saying a little bit later. That's what happens to Peter. As far as Jesus is concerned, as far as Peter's concerned, the wind, the waves didn't mean anything until they meant something. When Peter gave that no thought, and he only thought of Jesus, he was fine. It's when he stopped thinking about Christ, and he started thinking about the circumstances Christ had put him in, that he began to falter. So... I come back to what I told you I want you to remember. No matter how high the waves are above our head, they're still under his feet. I don't know how those waves were crashing, but Peter went from stone dry walking on the water to being swamped by a wave. Now, I don't know how good a, uh, a swimmer Peter was. It's it, probably pretty good because the last chapter in the book of John, he jumps out of a boat 100 yards from shore and swims in. I'm not jumping out of a boat until it's about 10 feet from shore, and then I'm hoping it's still not over my head at that point. I, I, I'm just, like I said, I'm not real good with water like that. I'm not, I don't not enjoy it, but I enjoy it carefully, you know. Peter probably could swim pretty good, but all of a sudden he went from bone dry to a wave knocking him down. So when his head pops back up, he yells, Lord, save me. Peter called out to the only one who could save him, not just because of location, but because of ability. It says there, when he saw the winds afraid, he began to sink, and he said, Lord, save me. In verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Remember Matthew 8? Why were y'all worried? You of little faith, why were you doubting? And I think when Jesus said that to Peter, he remembered, wait a minute. We were in a storm a few chapters ago. In a boat. And Jesus said that same thing to us. Why did I doubt? Why did I give up on God? Listen. Only Jesus can rescue us when we doubt, when we fall. When you find yourself sinking, go back to where you left God. Go back to where it is that you last saw him. When Peter began to sing, it's because he's looking around. Now he's like, where's Jesus? Jesus, save me. He turns back to Christ. Now, Jesus didn't pull him up and go, just walk back. He pulls him up and sets him in the boat. I don't know how all that worked, but that's all the Bible lets us know he did. But I want you to know something. God didn't move. Peter did. That's always a truth. There's a great illustration of this, but we can't really use it anymore because everybody's got bucket seats in the front. Y'all remember when you had a bench seat in the front? Some of you are old enough to remember that. It was just straight across. It's uncomfortable, but 
You could put a lot more people on that seat, and back then there wasn't anybody telling you you couldn't. <laughs> now you couldn't do it if you had it. And uh, back then, boy, when you were a teenager dating or first in love, man, that girl would sit right up under you. You couldn't drive but with one hand because she's so up under your arm and you're driving like this. And one day an older couple was leaving church, and they got in the car, and the lady got in on her side, and the man got in on his. And they started watching some younger people leave the church, sitting like that, looked like a one person with two heads. And the older lady looked at the older man and said, how come we don't sit like that anymore? And the guy holding the steering wheel said, I haven't moved. He's still where he was. She had moved over to the door. I think when we realize we've missed God, it's because we've moved away from God, not because God moved away from us. Because remember the strongest promise he gave us is, I am with you always. I never leave you. I never forsake you. And so with a gentle rebuke, Jesus picks him up and puts him back in the boat. And I want to point out one other thing before I leave this verse. Jesus is more astonished at our lack of faith than we are in his ability to do miracles. Jesus, Jesus knows what he can do. He doesn't brag about stuff he can't do. Nobody says, oh, watch me do this, and know they're going to fail. And Jesus is more astonished at our lack of faith than we are at his ability to do a miracle. Especially in this moment of panic when Peter cries out to the Lord. He didn't even doubt that Jesus could save him. Or else why would he have called? He didn't look back at the boat and go, hey guys, I'm sinking, I was an idiot, bring me back into the boat. No, he calls out to Christ to save him. And then, look at verse 32. After all of that, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It didn't stop till he got in the boat. He let that storm rage until then. He wanted to see what they would do in the middle of that storm. And I'm sure the disciples are just gawking out into the darkness trying to get a glimpse of what's going on. But notice what happens in verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They begin to worship Jesus because of who he is, not because of what he just did. In chapter 8, they said, what kind of man is this that can tell the wind and the waves to stop? And they do. By chapter 14, they're saying, he's right. He is the Son of God. Because only the Son of God could do what we just saw and what we just witnessed. Now, I don't, I don't believe they forgot this much more. I believe that, after, especially after the resurrection, they remembered all this stuff. And I believe that's what enabled them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because to a man, all 12 of these guys, except Judas, of course, but the 11 plus Paul, they experienced storm after storm after storm for the rest of their life. But they knew where the source was, and they never gave up, they never quit, they never stopped. So what can you do with all this? Well, first of all, during this, during this thing we're in the middle of in our nation, use this slowdown to get alone with God. Just use this time during this crisis to get alone with God and find out His will for you. Secondly, don't doubt Jesus and that He's watching over you. Don't doubt His overwatch of you when you are sent out into a storm because He will always get to you there. In the Old Testament, God told Elijah after a, a great miracle and Elijah went into depression, he said, go to this little stream. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. If Elijah had not shown up, I believe those birds would have shown up with food, but there wouldn't have been anybody to give it to. 
because the birds aren't going to disobey. But man sometimes does. Now, Elijah went to the right place, and he got the food he needed. But my point is this, that God sends us into places he knows where we're supposed to be. And if we're not there, we're going to miss what God wants. And thirdly, I would say worship Jesus because he is the Son of God. Not for whatever he can do for you. You worship him just because he's God. I keep going back to the quote of Job in the Bible in the Old Testament when Job said, if he slays me, yet I will trust him. You think about the three Hebrew young men in the fiery furnace in Daniel. They said, God can save us, but if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you want. We're going to do what God wants. Over and over and over again, God calls us to do things that looks like we shouldn't do. It looks impossible, looks too difficult for us. And that's because it is. It is impossible. You can't do it. It is too difficult for us. But nothing is too difficult for him. Would you join me in prayer once again? Lord God, we thank you for the lessons you teach us. We thank you that you love us even when we sometimes fail the test. These disciples seem to have forgotten what you could do and could not do. They're trying to, to row across that, that Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm. And when they saw you, they were afraid. I, I believe they were probably afraid before they saw you. But Peter, in faith, calls out and you perform a miracle in his life. And, and then you show him that you're there to catch him when his faith starts to fail. So many times Peter has to learn this lesson over and over and over and over. Even, even but just before your death and after your resurrection, you had to show him one more time who you were. And I just thank you that Peter never gave up. He never quit. He kept coming back. Even when he messed up, he kept coming after it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just worship you because of who you are, not because of whatever you could do for us, but because you love us and we belong to you and you uh, have given yourself to us. And so we pray right now, Lord, that you would help us in the midst of the crisis we're in, that we would not sink, but we would look to you and trust you as we walk through this. In Jesus' name, amen.